Hi, Jeff. Some of our employees mentioned you've taken over the lunchroom. Why does this place look like a county fair? Staff, I'm so glad you could make it. I mean, just imagine the impact this is going to have on staff morale. Ooh, watch your step. Lil Abner, the miniature pony, escaped the petting zoo enclosure. Hey, did you try a corn dog? Uh, no. Did you get this cleared by anyone? Well, of course I did. Remember when we talked about having fun in the office? Well, that's what I'm doing. Mm, no, that's not really what I meant. Oh, good thing we've got an expert that knows all about injecting fun and humor into the workplace on this week's episode of the Insights at Work podcast. Jeff, what are you doing with that wrench? Just removing the safety limit on this mechanical bull. This baby's really gonna buck. Let's dive in. The happier you are at work, the happier you'll be in life. After all, work has an enormous impact on this crazy ride called life. Sure, it's easy for a leader to say, let's turn your frown upside down because, well, it takes 43 muscles to frown, but only 17 to smile. Humor is a connector, a builder, a catalyst. Humor shows us in our best light. It reminds us of our shared humanity, and it has the power to transform experiences, ideas, and people. Today, we're joined by Mike Kerr, keynote speaker, author, and expert on injecting humor into the workplace. I recently read his book, The Humor Advantage, and it reminded me that humor doesn't just have the potential to make us financially richer. Humor makes our lives richer. So let's talk about improving the workplace by injecting fun and humor into it. Welcome to the Insights at Work podcast, Mike Kerr. Hey, thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Excited to have this conversation with you. It's such a, such a fun conversation to talk about, an important one, too. It is. This podcast especially, I've really been looking forward to. Mike, we focus so much on workplace culture on the podcast, and we all recognize that workplace culture can be the number one competitive advantage. Now, you do this great job distinguishing between long-term employees and loyal employees, and I think it's worth something to call it out. Make sure that as HR professionals, we're always focusing, well, on creating both. But let's just start with this. What's the crucial difference between the two? Yeah, and it is important to, to note that there is a fundamental difference between the two. I mean, ideally, if you have loyal employees, that's probably going to translate into long-term employees. But the corollary isn't necessarily true. You can have long-term employees that aren't necessarily loyal. And I've, I've got a story that illustrates this rather nicely, I think. I, I don't want to name the company because of the personal details involved in this story, but it is a company I reference in, in my books. And the CEO was telling me how their CFO got headhunted and offered twice the salary for his job. Now, that's a, that's a nice pay raise. I think a lot of us would love to instantly make double our salary, right? So the CEO said, look, you're the CFO. You know the numbers better than I do. We can only do so much. We might be able to give you a bit of a raise, but we can't match that. Go home and talk to your spouse. So I think that was very good advice. I think the CEO probably knew what he was doing when he gave that advice because the CFO came back the next day and said, nope, I'm good, not going anywhere. 
And why? Because his spouse said, you're not going anywhere. We don't care about them. We don't need the money. We don't need the money. What we do need is you being happy and healthy. You've never slept better. You've never had less stress. You have so much meaning and joy in your work now. And no amount of money is going to make up for that. And I love that story because it's a great illustration of, you know, if you get your culture right, if we're treating our employees right, if employees feel like they are connected and belong in their workplace, they aren't going to jump ship. So a fundamental difference for me is that yeah, you can be a long-term employee, but if you're not truly loyal, you can be lured away very easily by just even a slight pay raise, just the way that a, a long-term customer isn't necessarily a loyal customer. It's the same thing. They can be lured by, by a sale down the street and uh, you've lost a customer. And long-term employees who aren't loyal, what I think we have to challenge ourselves with is this notion, are, the, are they good ambassadors for us in the community? Are they speaking highly of our company, of our organization, of what it's like to work with us? Are they contributing discretionary effort on the job? In other words, are they willing to, to do above and beyond just the minimum of their job? When they see something that needs doing, do they just go ahead and do it? And, and maybe most importantly of all, I think a truly loyal employee has a vested emotional interest in our organization. So they're passionate about contributing ideas. They're passionate about the future of the company. They want to suggest improvements and always are looking for ways to make things better at work because they're truly loyal. They have a vested interest in your company, whereas a long-term employee may not share any of those ideas. They, they, they may not be connected to your company as strongly, so they don't care how your company does. They're just there for the paycheck. They're counting the days till retirement, till they can get out, and, and they just don't have that emotional commitment that a truly loyal employee has. It's that happiness factor at work. They're happy. They are appreciative of being there, and they know that if they want to continue being happy, they want to still work at continue working at this great environment. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and it pays off. It pays well, you, off financially. You give so many great examples, and I always love the stories because that's something that we can all relate to. And, of course, there's always someone willing to pay an employee more. Give them that better title. But I don't think that's a race that really anybody wants to get into. There's not a winner, and we're seeing it now. In fact, the reason that we're seeing it now is because we've got this new term for it. And that's called the boomerang employee. Now, you mentioned why, hey, it's okay if you're losing your employees for the right reason. What's the right reason to lose an employee? Yeah, I think there's several right reasons to lose an employee. And, and you're right, you know, and you, you mentioned this at the opening. We know culture. doesn't matter what organization, what business you're in. Culture is the number one driver of success. It's your number one competitive advantage. Someone down the road can pay your employees a little bit more, as you said. Somebody down the road in the other direction might be able to undercut you on costs, on price that they're selling their services or products for. So you you can't win that, that financial arms race. And chances are you can't always do something about it, right? So you've got to focus relentlessly on your culture. So losing employees for the right reasons, I think, are things like when you've got an employee that that genuinely wants a, a change in career. Maybe they're going back to school. They're going to get their master's degree, their PhD, and they're going off in a different direction. You want to support them and wish them well. You want to be a cheerleader for them, recognizing that 
when employees leave our organizations, they still talk about us for years, for decades, to their friends, their families, what their experience was like working for you. They are ambassadors the rest of their lives for your company. Maybe you have an employee, and I think I use this example in the book, that wants to open up a taco shop in Bora Bora. Well, that's a pretty cool thing to do. So let's support those employees. What isn't a good reason and what's incredibly frustrating is when we lose employees because of our culture, when we lose employees because of poor leadership, when we lose employees because there's a bullying employee that nobody has done anything about. And what's especially frustrating for me when I hear these stories is how good employees, and it tends to be the better employees, right, who can leave, they're the first to leave when it's a dysfunctional, soul-sucking, fun-sucking workplace. They're the first to leave. And what is so frustrating and sad to me is when organizations don't even hear about why they left. They don't even know that there were these issues, that there's a poor manager in this one department and they're losing employees because of that manager. There's, there's incompetence in this other department, or as I said, a bullying employee, and nobody's addressing that and we're losing good employees. We cannot afford, especially in a tight labor market, to lose employees for the wrong reasons. You know, Mike, I couldn't agree more. One thing that we do at ADP is, uh, and I've heard you in the books, you refer to this, about having those regular check-ins. So you're identifying maybe when that culture is taking the wrong turn, or hopefully to identify that one person who could be that really employee who you might want to leave for, for right. certain reasons. And at ADP, what we do is we have a weekly check-in. And we are asked, what did you love doing this week? What did you loathe doing this week? Do you feel that your employees, your teammates have your back? And I think that's a really good opportunity when you can identify things like that. Yeah, brilliant. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of everything you just said. I talk a lot about the importance of regular check-ins. Check-ins give people a sense of belonging in their jobs too, right? So important. And there's so much research around how important it is just to check in with employees. And as I remind my audiences and clients, there's a difference between checking up on an employee and checking in with an employee. If you have if if you have teenagers at home, you know the difference, right? So let's make sure we're genuinely checking in and stay interviews. Yes, we have to be doing those with good, honest conversations and good questions. Because again, as I say to as I say to people, exit interviews, here's the little challenge with exit interviews. It's too late. They've left. <laughs> so we want to make sure we are addressing any issues that we can, of course, before we lose some of our best employees. You know, what's so interesting is when you talked a couple seconds ago about people being really proud of the place that they work at after they leave and, and to have that really great feeling uh, associated with that. And of course, they're an ambassador and we want them to be that ambassador in the future after they leave the company. Me, I walk around like with an ADP t-shirt on all the time. I'm on holidays. We pay a lot of people around the world. I'll be in Mexico. I'll be all over the States. I'll be in Canada. And I've got my ADP shirt on or our daughter, Sophie has her ADP shirt on beside me. And I'll tell you every time I'm wearing that shirt, people stop me in the elevator. And of course I always say, Oh, like how are we doing? Thanks for the business. Uh, because that's really important to recognize our clients and thank them. But it's just so neat to think um, how proud people are to be associated with us. And it makes our employees, especially me, feel really proud. And one time I was, we were having lunch and we were down in Mexico. And um, I asked somebody, hey, what do you do? 
And um, they said, oh, yeah, I work in payroll. And then eventually, like 10 seconds later, they said, oh, I used to work at ADP. And I share this story always in onboarding sessions when we're introducing new employees to the company. I always talk about how proud that one gentleman, he was so proud of the time that he spent at ADP and how that just really set his career up and uh, and how he really felt that ADP was like a family. So it, it was just talk about being that ambassador years after he had left. Yeah, and isn't that wonderful to hear? You, you love hearing those stories, right? And and in an ideal world, that that's what we want in any organization. We want people forevermore to be speaking highly of us and rave about their experience with us. And I love that you wear the those T-shirts, Jeff. That's so cool. Like you're 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 you to, totally are being a brand ambassador, right? That's awesome. well, it drives my wife crazy. She's always like, "Are you wearing the ADP T-shirt again?" I I'm the one who orders them, so yeah, I'm always wearing those ones. Yeah. So talking about leaving or staying, Zappos, a company that you spent a lot of time observing and writing about, they offer this let's make a deal scenario at the end of the employee's first week. And it's to ensure that they've got the right culture. Can you fill our listeners in on what that deal is and why they make that offer? Yeah, they make that offer and, and they started this years ago uh, and the, the money has gone up over the years. I, I, I'm i not sure exactly what it is now, but I believe right now they're, I think they offer their employees to, to leave and I, I think it might be after two weeks. They do a one month onboarding program, right? It's so very intensive onboarding orientation program. And that's certainly the trend I'm seeing all over the world is companies investing in way more in depth, way longer term orientation programs. So they offer this, you know, kind of like a let's make a, a deal deal. Uh, and it's either, you know, don't quote me on this, it's either 4,000 or, or maybe a month of the, the employee's salary to leave. So you've, you've been here a few weeks, you've started to learn a lot more now about our culture, about how things are going to work around here. If you now don't feel that this is a match for you, Right. And and I love that they do this. And and there's a couple of other companies that are doing this as well. Similar things. If you don't feel this is a match for you, then we're going to offer you, you know, this money for your time, for 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 how far you've you've joined us on this journey so far. But we're and we're going to wish you well, no hard feelings. But here's the deal. And they do that, of course, because they realize there's an enormous, enormous cost to not hiring the right people. The late CEO, the former CEO, Tony Shea, who was so inspiring, he at one point talked about how he crunched the numbers and he figured that for a key position, if you hire the wrong person in a key position, it can cost your company up to a million dollars. So let's get this right. So that's why they offer that deal. And I think it's very bold of them to do that. Now, Mike, no company wants their culture to be known as a best kept secret. And you give an example of a Malaysian health and wellness company called Mind Valley. Now, for their recruitment strategy, they decided to eliminate buying online job ads and use that budget for something else. What was it that Mind Valley did to promote their culture and build that candidate pipeline? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And obviously something like this isn't going to work for a lot of companies. But for this company, for their culture, what they did is they put that money to, and their energy towards their annual big blowout Halloween party. Let's, as you say, Jeff, use this as an onboarding pipeline. We'll give every employee two tickets 
where they are asked to hand these tickets out to two people that they know in their circles that they think would be brilliant additions to Mind Valley. So two, who are two of the most brilliant, creative, innovative, fun people? Who are two people that you would like to work with on your team day in and day out? Invite them to our party. And so these people get immersed in, in, even though it's just a party, they get immersed in the feel for the company, for the culture, for the energy. And they found that that was one of the most effective things they could do to bring in new employees. So a very creative approach to finding new employees. I, I love it. Now, talking about uh, building that candidate pipeline, you give a couple great examples. And well, let's face it, some of the brightest, the most passionate people in the world they can sometimes bomb during that job interview. So why not do everything you can to set them up for success before the interview? Now, this is an area that I, I too think has so much room for improvement. I don't think an interview is a test. I think it's a conversation. And if we can do a better job supporting candidates to better perform during an interview, well, we're not going to just identify all the information that we need to make that best decision. We're going to provide a great recruiting experience for that candidate. Now, you write about a Finnish company and what they do to help out their candidates during the recruitment and interview process. What do they do? Yeah, it's fascinating. And in fact, there were a couple of companies that I researched in Helsinki, Finland, that all have this very similar approach to, to uh, sort of a communal approach. First of all, in terms of getting all their employees involved in recruitment and being ambassadors for finding new employees, which I think is very cool. But Vincent was the one that that kind of went the furthest, I think, in setting candidates up for success. Because as you say, you're, are, are we measuring how well people interview or are we really, really interested in finding out who is the best fit for this job and for our culture. So it, it is almost like a choose your own adventure experience for the candidates at Vincent. They can choose from a drop down menu where they want the first interview to take place. It could be over lunch, it could be a walk in the park, it could be at the Vincent office, whatever they feel most comfortable for. So so they get, they get they're in the driver's seat is, is what they do for their candidates to help relax them. They get to choose who interviews them from a series of different videos, right? I mean, how how crazy is that? I've never heard of this before. And they get the interview questions in advance and they don't mind. They say, often, this is a tech company, they're, they're sometimes hiring uh, engineers, software engineers, very technical people that, that um, you know, maybe they're introverts, maybe they don't always interview well. They have no problems if these people bring a spreadsheet on their laptop during the interview to help guide their answers so they can give the best answers that they've prepared. So they make it as easy as possible for their candidates to show their best selves. And, and I just think that's fabulous. And then even after that process, they do things, for example, between the time they've hired that person and before they start work, they invite them to come in for a coffee meeting with the team just to kind of get to know the office and get to know the team in a very relaxed, uh, easy setting. So I, I just love that they do that. And I think that company, they also provide online videos and interview tips on how to, um, you know, conduct yourself during the interview. So they're really trying to give that candidate the best leg up and you're providing that great experience. So even if that yeah. candidate doesn't become an employee, you know what? Nine and a half times out of 10, they're going to speak really highly of the company. 
Well, exactly. And that, that's a really good point, Jeff, too. I, I hear stories, I hear it especially with young people who, who just have horror stories about how they were treated in job interviews. And I'm always thinking to myself, do, do these employers not understand that these young employees have parents and uncles and aunts and friends and everybody who they are going to share that experience with? And it does not reflect well on you if you're not treating people as best as you possibly can. If, if you, if you want to be known as an inspiring workplace with an inspiring customer experience, culture, then that has to shine through every aspect of your onboarding and recruitment and hiring process. You know, we had Eric Tremundi, and he's the author of Rethink. Yep. Uh, he's also out of Calgary, so you might know Eric. I, I know Eric, yeah. And Eric talks about planting that corporate flag and screaming to the rooftops what your brand is all about. And Eric's like, Jeff, if your brand, if your workplace is about you have, you travel a lot, or you don't travel or you have five meetings a day you're or you don't have a lot of meetings just be really upfront and say this is the employee experience that works for this company and shout it to the rooftops and then you're going to get the ones who you know what if if we were the type of company that has the ping pong table has the pool pool table and it's a bring your dog to work day then that's what you tell this is what we're yeah. all about and if you're not, if you're a little more conservative, you know what? Then be proud of it. Say, this is what we're all about. Yeah, it's it's about setting expectations, right? And being honest. You're not doing anyone any good if you're not totally honest about what the work experience is really going to be like. Because, of course, you run the risk of hiring a great person who then realizes very quickly, this is not what I signed up for. This was not, you know, the rainbows and unicorn and puppies that you I was promised on your website. So let's be honest with people. In fact, I was just talking to a, a client the other day, right, right on that note of um, who's saying, you know, they're very open about saying to potential candidates that in their culture, they are totally fine with off-color humor. They are very fine with what in a lot of other companies would not be okay in terms of their humor. They tend to curse a lot in their culture. It's just their culture. And if you're not comfortable with that, maybe this isn't the place for you. So, you know, I'm so glad you brought that because there's always that one joker in the office. And <laughs> it might happen every once in a while. He or she, well, maybe they're going to put their foot in their mouth. Maybe they're going to cross that line. Now, you write in your books, the downside really outweighs the upside of having them there. So what's the upside of having them there? Why? Yeah, there's a huge upside to it. And, and I'm not, I, I, I don't know, I would necessarily say just let it go if they've crossed their line. What, what, I, do, what I do tell my audiences to be very careful of, though, is that you aren't in reaction to one misstep. Right, that you all of a sudden don't bring out the humor police and you start op becoming oppressive and suppressing everyone's sense of humor and you create these ridiculous rules and that just stifle everybody's creativity and humanity and humor. That's the worst thing you can do. There's this one study where they talk about the role of the proverbial office joker in the studies. And, and what's interesting is that the CEOs in these various companies said, you know what? Yeah, the office that proverbial office joker steps over that proverbial humor line. If somebody can explain where that humor line is, you, you, you're a better person than me. Uh, but they say, you know what? 
it's worth having that person around. We don't want to punish that person for that one misstep. And so we might just go talk to them, right? We might go just talk to them alone and say, uh, you know, you know, Joe, you probably crossed the line there a little bit. And they usually know, right? They said, yeah, I was pushing it a little bit. I know, I know. Or I'll go apologize if, to, to so-and-so if I need to. But the benefits so outweigh just what you said, because what they found in this study, and of course, in huge part of my of the humor advantage book is there's so many benefits of having humor in the workplace and having those people and specifically in this study they found that that office joker was such a huge played such a huge important role in terms of morale in alleviating boredom in the workplace in creating rituals and traditions and this this was one interesting aspect i i thought was fasting in keeping the the history of the company alive because it tends to be those those jokers who retell the stories right oh you weren't here 20 years ago when <laughs> this happened to bob at our annual convention right so they keep the the tradition and the the history and the lore alive they also tend to be truth tellers right so they play that role of the court jester where they speak some sometimes uncomfortable truths through their humor but it is important to have those people so the benefits so outweigh so the last thing we want to do is punish everyone just for the occasional misstep and 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 that is a huge concern and I hear it all the time. And it is so sad to me that companies aren't willing to create a culture that allows more humor, that infuses fun and humor into the workplace for fear that there's gonna constantly be abuse of humor going on. And it's just not the case. And in fact, when I interview companies that are known, like Zappos, uh, or organizations that are known for a lot of humor in their organization, I always ask this question because I get asked it so much. And I'm telling you, 100% of the time in those organizations, when I ask that question, they just shrug their shoulders and say, it's not an issue. And it's not an issue because as they explain, our, our values are such that, you know, you get the humor that I think your culture and your values support. So we have a high respect culture. We have a high trust culture. We we have high expectations in our culture still. Doesn't mean we're, we're slacking off just because we're having a lot of fun here, just the opposite. Um, so we, we never find that it's an issue. We just allow people to be more human. And there is such a danger in, in stepping on that. So why did you write the humor advantage? Why did I write the humor advantage? I wrote it because of I've I well going back the whole reason why I got into this business and started speaking about inspiring workplace cultures and humor in the workplace was because I left about 25 years ago a soul-sucking fun-sucking workplace that was sucking the life out of me and I was seeing the impact that this sun sun I was going to say something different. Their fun-sucking organization had on so many employees, the morale, the health issues, the stress on people, including myself. And that was the first time when I started thinking about the role of humor in culture, because as a manager, I was known for my sense of humor. I was known throughout the organization for my sense of humor and seeing how people were losing their sense of humor because of this dysfunctional culture. That, interestingly enough, got me down this path of thinking, you know, I think there's more to this humor stuff than meets the eye. I think it isn't just window dressing. I think it, well, it can be used as that sometimes, but if you get it right, it's certainly not. It's it's not just 
a fluffy topic. So I started researching it seriously. I went to my first humor conference in Saratoga Springs like 25 years ago and started just devouring this stuff and realized, wow, humor has an incredibly important role to play in so many areas of our work lives in terms of leadership. And I always view humor and culture in a chicken and egg relationship way, or maybe a rubber chicken and egg way that humor helps create a better, more humane, more innovative culture, but it also, and maybe more importantly, reflects a more humane, inspiring culture. So back to your question, I wrote The Humor Advantage because I, I wanted to pull together so much of this research I've been doing over the years, including going into companies and interviewing companies in, in Europe and South Africa and, and around the globe to try to destigmatize, first and foremost, humor in the workplace, to that people know, no, you don't have to be scared of this. In fact, just the opposite. This is something that we need to embrace for so many reasons. This is something that truly can, regardless of what business you're in, help you be more successful, help you laugh all the way to the bank, but also just help from a fundamentally human level. And you talked about that, Jeff, at the very beginning, how humor can help us be, be the best of ourselves, right? It's one of the most human characteristics we have. So it helps us just be better human beings. And one of the things that I just absolutely drive home all the time is the impact that work has on our lives, right? That it affects our marriages and family lives and kids' lives and mental and physical health, and that it's just a wee bit of a time sucker. So let's make sure that we're enjoying this journey. It may sound cliche, but life is too short to work in a soul-sucking, fun-sucking workplace. Yeah, you know what, Mike? I think that you and I, we probably worked at that same fun-sucking place. Yeah. <laughs> that could be, that could be. Well, one of those crazy things that some offices do, and one of the ways that many teams embrace the spirit of fun is through rituals and traditions. Now, something that everybody can participate in and look forward to. Now, I've heard you share this great story about one of your clients where they injected humor into the workplace and they created a very popular, well-loved tradition. And it involved a mascot costume. Can you <laughs> fill our listeners in on that client's tradition? Yeah, it's a it's a fabulous tradition. And I should clarify that actually, technically, you were never a client of mine, but I have gotten to know the CEO very well and, and interviewed their company. Um, uh, and, and in fact, he's he's nice enough to have given me the testimonial on the front of the Humor Advantage book. So it's Argus Industries in beautiful Winnipeg. And uh, they used to have this ritual where an employee would show up in a giant gorilla costume. And the gorilla the employee dressed as a gorilla would hide somewhere in their manufacturing plant in the front office, waiting to scare the heck out of a colleague while a hidden video camera would secretly record the transaction of these employees screaming their heads off when they encountered the gorilla. They would create a montage video and then show it at their year-end party. And it just became a huge thing for them. It became one of their biggest, probably their biggest ritual or tradition every year that everybody looked forward to and again that is one of their that is one of their core values that's very much one of their their beliefs in fact they have this wonderful mantra the work is hard enough as it is without making it any harder so they embrace this this spirit of fun in their organization and it has helped them i know drive phenomenal results in their company 
Now, you also introduced a ritual of your own called the Bonehead Play of the Month. <laughs> right. Yes, this is great. So we we actually have a little prop, this bonehead prop that we would wear over our heads. Dirt simple. Once a month, the last Friday of the month, it would take 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes tops. And what you had to do is you just had to nominate yourself for having done something that was really embarrassing. That was essentially a bonehead play, right? Something that was embarrassing, something that maybe stressed you out. Now, we were very clear, you couldn't nominate your coworkers because that doesn't build the team spirit, right? But nominate yourself, own up. Yeah, I did something really embarrassing, really bonehead. And then we'd have this little ritual at the end of every month, as I say, Friday afternoon. Sometimes there'd be six people lined up. Sometimes there'd just be me <laughs> lined up. And you would have to relay your story and then people would vote, okay, who did the biggest bonehead play of the month? And you would get a small prize and you know, people would give you a standing ovation. And it was just this wonderful way to encourage people to own their mistakes so we could all learn from them and to have a little bit of fun because we all, we all mess up at work. It's not a question of if we're going to do a bonehead play. It's when's the next time. So we might as well celebrate it. Now, Mike, high-performing organizations, they continually celebrate the success and they recognize their employees. How can employers get creative and inject some fun into their appreciation and recognition efforts? Recognition is so important in an inspiring culture. And yeah, I mean, there's more formal, serious recognition programs, and they certainly have their place. But let's make this fun, too, at the same time. So there's so many ways, there's so many ways to make this fun. It could be giving employees rewards for fun reasons, right? I have all sorts of fun rewards that I've collected or awards that I've collected from uh, companies and clients around the world, like the, the Houdini Award. I love this for whoever magically made a big problem disappear, right? The, um, uh, you know, the Swiss Army Knife Award for the best multitasker, the Survivor Award for whoever is the least likely to be voted off the island. There's so many fun awards like this. One of my clients has the Ha Ha Award, which they give out to whoever keeps everyone else laughing during a particularly busy or stressful time. So I love that. So there's no end of just fun awards we can come up with. We can give them out for fun, for fun reasons. We can give out fun prizes too, right? And, and creative things. And sometimes things that don't cost a thing, you know, naming, and, and I have clients that do this, naming a stairwell after the employee for the month, because, you know, Susan just rocked this project here and she's getting the stairwell named after her or the hallway or, or a dish in the, in the employee cafeteria named after them, right? So there's these creative fun things that we can do to, bring the spirit of fun and energy and humor into our recognition programs. And I think when you combine those two elements, that's a, just a huge win in any culture. You know, one of the most impactful things that happened to me uh, since I've been working at ADP is about two months into the pandemic, uh, you know, I was a chef. I was a full-time teacher uh, to our five-year-old daughter at the time. So my team, they got to know Sophie pretty well because she would be, I set up a desk beside my desk and she'd be there all day long. And about two months into the pandemic, we got a knock on the door. Sophie went downstairs and there was a basket there. And in that basket, there was a little 
toy sailboat and a crown and a book of uh, where the wild things are. And it was a note uh, addressed to Sophie. And it was from my boss. Oh, wow. And it was my boss, Shauna, saying, Sophie, we appreciate all the help that you give to your daddy. And welcome to the ADP team. And I'll tell you, ever since that day, you want to talk about an ambassador? Yeah, Sophie, she is an ambassador for ADP. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love that so much, Jeff. And that is so important. And, and I'm a huge fan of that too, of, of recognizing families of employees. They are part of the support team. And there's companies that do this very, very well. Uh, you know, and think about especially when you've got employees that are putting in a lot of overtime or they travel a lot. That is a huge impact on the families. And what my research the last few years has been showing too is that if you do anything to connect with the families in a meaningful way, to recognize the families, that has a huge impact on employee retention rates. It's enormous. So supporting recognizing families, recognizing the underdogs too, right? There's so many hidden heroes in our organizations that don't always get the accolades or the recognition that, that maybe other people that are more out front in their jobs, more visible get. So let's make sure we're, we're not leaving those people forgotten. Mike, is there anything impactful that we haven't covered today that you'd like to highlight? Oh, impact. Well, it's such a huge topic, right, Jeff? There's so many. We can talk about humor and customer service and stress management and so many different things. Branding your business. It's a it's an enormous topic. Uh, I, I, I think it's just, again, a matter of matter of being intentional about this stuff, right? And, and I think everything starts with recognizing, everything circles back to me, the culture, right? So it's circling back to that idea that you truly need to embrace the idea that culture is your number one driver of success. And look, everybody says that, but there's a difference between saying that and actually backing up your actions and doing something about it. So you may say that, oh yeah, yeah, your culture is important to you, but are you, this is my challenge to everyone listening. Are you really, are you really investing in your culture as much as you could be and should be? Are you really being uber intentional about your culture? Because that is when the magic happens. And when you infuse that spirit of fun and humanity into that culture, that is when you are going to truly rock it. Well, talking about rocking it, at the end of every podcast episode, I always ask our guest a list of their favorites in first. Are you ready for this? I am ready. Let's do it. All right, Mike. Michael Kerr, humor expert, what was your first job? Very first job working for Greyhound Bus Lines. And I had so much fun in that job. That's where I probably first learned about how, hey, you can work hard, but have a blast doing it because we just had so many laughs. We had such a such a great team there. So Greyhound Bus Lines in beautiful Picton, BC. What was your first concert? My first concert was Heart in Vancouver. Your favorite concert? My favorite, oh, that's a tough, I, you know what, I'm going to say just be, because of a number of factors, an Elton John concert that I went to. Where was it? It was in Calgary. Wow. And what was your first car? My first car was a 1967 white GMC pickup truck. 
with a stick shift right on the, what do they call that three on the tree? The stick shift was up on the column of the steering wheel. Cool. Yeah. Like a C100 truck. Yeah. And what is your favorite piece of advice that you give to a young professional just starting out? One of my favorite pieces of advice is don't outsource your own happiness. Don't outsource your sense of purpose and meaning. Don't give anyone else control over that. Your boss is not going to make you happy. Your workplace isn't necessarily going to make you happy. You need to take responsibility for that first and foremost. Do not outsource your happiness. Michael Kerr, it has been just an absolute pleasure having you on the Insights at Work podcast. Oh, I appreciate you. Appreciate the support. And I've done a fair number of podcast interviews, but I don't think anybody was as committed to doing their homework as you. So oh, well, thank you. Thank I appreciate you. that. Hey, I've, I've, I've had a great time chatting with you, Jeff. So much fun. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here with you. Thank you. Take care. And with that, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit from it as well. If you find the Insights at Work podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate it. And if there's something that you would like me to discuss around this big world of HR and all things business, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media or through LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay healthy and be kind. We'll see you soon on the next episode of the Insights at Work podcast.